Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. This episode, we look at what it takes to build a Haswell E enthusiast-level overclocking rig, and Darren goes through another round of upgrades on his budget gaming build. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McCain. Last time we got together for a podcast, we spent some time looking at the beautiful EVGA X99 classified motherboard. Yeah, it's a great motherboard. I love it. And I know you've spent some time on it now, and you've posted some really great teasers from your overclocking. Yeah. Well, the every motherboard review comes with overclocking in the very end, which is something that uh, makes us different, I should say. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, looking at that board and thinking about the new technology coming out a little bit more, it's really got me interested in putting together a Haswell E. Uh, build for the holiday season or early spring, depending on the budget a little bit. Black Friday. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. And it is a very expensive build right now. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about if I'm purchasing stuff to upgrade to a Haswell E system. Mm-hmm. And my goal is to be able to do at least some light overclocking. Well, okay. what do I need to be thinking about? What What are the pros and cons? What's What's good enough? Because as you know, I don't always like to be on the bleeding edge. Mm-hmm. I like to budget what's the best bang for my buck. Okay. Well, let's start at the processor, shall we? Shall okay. We? All right. So we basically, at the time of this podcast, we have three processors that you can buy on Newegg. Okay. We have the flagship, which is the 5960X. This is the basically the Extreme Edition processor. It comes with eight cores, 16 threads. It's clocked at 3 gigahertz and has 140-watt TDP. So, so this processor is over a grand. Yes, this is the $1,000 processor. So this is also in line with the 60X from Ivy Bridge, the 60X from Sandy Bridge, and even the Gulf Town from before. So $1,000 is a little tough to swallow. Tell me I can get a Haswell E that will overclock for less. Yeah, you can get two of them, actually. <laughs> so what are those? All right, so uh, the next step down is the 5930K. K edition is also an unlock processor. It comes with a 3.5 gigahertz clock, which is actually more than the flagship. Kind of strange, but weird. This is a six-core processor. Oh, okay. Same uh, wattage on the TDP. It also comes with a slightly different size cache. The X has the 20 meg cache. The K has a 15 meg cache. Okay, so it's a little bit slower on the cache, but a little bit faster on the front side bus. Is that right? No, it's actually, it's a uh, faster clock speed, less threads. So you have six cores, okay. 12 threads. So you have less multi-threading, which for a desktop machine, you're never going to know the difference. And actually six cores might be better. The 15 meg uh, level three cache is going to limit, or I should say not necessarily limit, but come into play when you're using lots and lots of memory. Okay. So they both support DDR4, right? Oh, yeah. All the Haswell E's are, they have the memory controller tuned for DDR4. So any of these builds, you're going to be buying new memory. And in today's overclocking budget, that's, according to Newegg, $589.99. So almost 600 bones. Yeah, 600 bucks for that guy. All right. So what's the next one down? Yeah, the last one on the list is the, uh, I would like to call this one the Core i5, but um, <laughs> they have it listed as Core i7. Uh, it's a 5820K. And this is a six-core processor. You're going to see a, a few spec similarities, I should say. Uh, it's going to be clocked at 3.3 gigahertz, you know, 200 megahertz different 
than the 59. 140 watt TDP, 15 meg level three cache. So if it's 3.3 and the flagship is 3.0, yeah. is it faster? Well, the, this is the six core processor, 12 threads. Mm-hmm. The flagship has eight cores, 16 threads. So it's the multi-threading is the difference there. And those extra two cores, I, I'm assuming they dictate that the clock speed needs to be reduced. Okay. So now this one's a much more easy to swallow three eighty nine ninety nine today. Yeah, basically four hundred bucks. Four hundred bucks. Now I've got a thirty seven seventy K today, which has mm-hmm. been a great processor for me, and it's an I seven also. Right. But looking at these, it seems like it's a little harder to differentiate really what's the difference because looking at clock speed alone, it seems like I could spend a thousand dollars on a much slower processor. Now I know you talked about the difference in cores. Mm-hmm. But, you know that works is that's the same as hyper threading, right? Well, yeah, the hyper-threading, it, it adds that second logical or semi-logical core to a physical core. So that's where you get your 12 threads out of. And that's, you know, the Intel thing from way back when. When I was looking at what processor to buy, I ended up buying the 5960X for okay. reviews and stuff like that. You know, figured eight cores, why not, right? But when I was looking at these things, I'm thinking, okay, well, if I bought a second processor, which one would it be? And I thought, well, hey, the 5820K is, is really tasty at 3.3 gigahertz. You know, specs-wise, it's identical to the 5930K. And in the past, I bought the 5930 and the Ivy Bridge. I also bought, well, it's actually 49 or 4830, whatever. Uh, I bought the Ivy Bridge 30 series. I also bought Sandy Bridge 30 series. Very fast processors, very good on the overclocking. The difference here is that... The 5820 doesn't have as many PCI Express lanes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit with the EVGA X99 Classified. I basically called out two versions of the multi-GPU index, one based on a 24-lane processor and one based on a 40-lane processor. And all that sounds kind and interesting, but right now I'm running two 770s. So realistically, how many of these lanes do I need? Well, you only need 16 per... Uh, GPU, mm-hmm. and that's for proper SLI, right? The thing is, we also have PCI Express 3, which doubles the bandwidth from the previous edition. So when I get 24, that's not short of the 16 t- times 2, right? No, it kind of works out. If you look at it in the version 2 spec, it's like having 48 lanes. Oh, okay. So, so. it's more than I need right now for the cards I have. Yeah, and what will probably happen is if you've if you run SLI on a system, any one of the boards, you'll have 16 lanes for your primary card. You'll have eight for your secondary card. So how does that hamper me at all? I mean, what am I giving up here? Not much, really. You're just, uh, if you go with the, the 5820K, you are giving up the ability to run efficient three-way and any semblance of four-way. Oh, okay. So most folks are not going to be running anything but two-way SLI or Crossfire. No, I mean, if you are building, if you're a budget gamer and you're wanting to go Haswell E, go 5820, single card, you know, basically you could get a dual GPU card as long as it's on one physical board. That process will be perfect. Okay. I also mentioned in the uh, classified review how we have um, X99 Micro, which is a uh, micro ATX motherboard. It has three PCI Express slots. You know, micro ATX has four slot. Uh-huh. It's basically half the board, right? If you drop in a, a 5820K, that board is perfectly matched for that processor in terms of available PCI Express lanes. And, you know, there's nothing else there. It's missing from the processor. It's missing from the board. It's perfect. 
Okay, so I'm getting that if I want to build a Haswell E for overclocking on a reasonable budget, mm -hmm. knock on wood, yep. then I'm probably looking at a 5820K or bumping up to the 5930K if I wanted to get the extra PCI Express slots. Mm -hmm. Is there any other advantage to moving to the 5930 other than the obvious six cores with the hyper-threading? The theory is that Intel bends their processors differently, so the the 5930 is going to be a higher quality chip. So you might get uh, a more efficient overclock. Oh, okay. With that faster processor. But that also kind of defeats the purpose of overclocking, right? Because you want to get the most out of your purchase. Yes, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah, so if you go with um, the cheap one, the 5820, I'm going to say based off of my experiences with the, um, the 60X, you're going to be able to get 4 gigahertz out of that and not really sweat at all. Nice. Now, I'm using today a pretty good Cooler Master water cooling setup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Sidon, right? Yes, and the XL, so it's a little oversized one. Is that going to be enough to handle that in overclocked? I see the 140 watts. Yeah, 140 watts is a lot. It's only 10 more than uh, the Sandy Bridge and Ivy Bridge extremes from before. The thing that I found was when I was running the X99 classified, I had the, uh, the Ace Tech version of the side in that you are running. So it's right. the thicker radiator with dual fans. Mm -hmm. That cooler was having a hard time keeping up with the processor once I started overclocking. So my suggestion is get the, uh, if you're going to go with all-in-one water cooling, right. definitely go with the larger radiator size that has the dual 120 millimeter fans at okay. least so that they're, the fans are side by side. Perfect, but I don't need to go to one of those big uh, three cooler monsters, right? No, you definitely don't need the triple fan edition. Um, if you want to go DIY cooler, that, was, that would be the perfect time to make sure you get the radiator with two fans. What you want is more surface area for cooling. So right. the thicker radiator, the double-stacked radiator, that gives you more um, cooling capacity because it has more water in there, but you don't have the surface area to dissipate that. So it works well for like a heavily overclocked 3770K or a 4770K. Once you go into uh, an Ivy Bridge, Sandy Bridge, Haswell E Extreme, you're going to want to have more surface area to actually dissipate that. Would it be better then to move to a good aftermarket uh, heat pipe setup as opposed to a little all-in-one system? You could definitely go with a uh, Noctua, the 15D. Uh, that's going to be the, your dual tower with the 140 millimeter, 150 millimeter fan. That is going to be able to handle the heat really quite well and keep you in the air-cooled realm. Anything smaller than that, you're going to kind of be uh, you're going to be battling with noise and extra fan speed and stuff like that. So up front, we're looking at 140 watts. What's a realistic expectation of an overclocked processor? In my experience, I had the the 5960X. You know, I basically enabled XMP, and the EVGA BIOS what I was using wasn't uh, tuned to my modules very well. So the, the BIOS was going through and actually trying to make the proper memory speed and it was overclocking the base clock and actually in turn overclocking the CPU. So I was running four gigahertz just by enabling XMP. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a big so, jump. Big jump. Uh, no CPU voltage adjustments. All I did was basically enabled XMP and it, it increased the base clock to 125 megahertz, which in turn increased CPU speed to 4 gigahertz right off the bat. I was actually really surprised. It was ran perfectly stable and wasn't very hot. 
my maximum was 4.5 gigahertz on my water cooler once I got to the side-by-side fan cooler and everything. But that still sounds like a pretty big bump over 3.0. Yeah, definitely. A pretty solid overclocker, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And with the, uh, if you go with the 5820K, I'm expecting the same results. Basically, oh. 4 gigahertz right off the bat. You're probably going to hit a maximum around um, 4.3, 4.5 gigahertz if you have proper cooling. That sounds good. Now, you've talked quite a bit about the EVGA X99, which is, of course, a fantastic motherboard, mm-hmm. but also a pretty high-end product. How dependent are you on the motherboard to get a good overclocking performance? Is there a specific type of motherboard or, or some sort of style, or is there a different chipset I should be looking for? Well, definitely not a different chipset because they're all going to be X99. The, in terms of motherboard, it depends on the type of overclock you want to do. For instance, Gigabyte and Asus have uh, special specialized LN2 X99 boards that have a different socket on there. Right. Now, of course, LN2 would be for a very specific one-shot run. I mean, nobody mm-hmm. is continuously piping LN2. Right. That's probably not going to work for me in my box. Well, no, that's not. It's going to be out of your realm. Oh, so yeah, basically, yeah. what you're going to want to look for is basically a good solid motherboard with a 10-phase sort of uh, VRM on it. Mm-hmm. That's going to give you the best stability, I should say, more power to the CPU. You may not actually use it. In terms of overclocking, just about every board out there has the same controls. The The thing I noticed was that when I was overclocking on the classified, all of the familiar Haswell voltages were there. We had ring voltage, we had ring uh, ratio, we had the uh, actual input voltage to the CPU, Everything was exactly the same. So if you're familiar with overclocking a Haswell, you're going to use those same sort of techniques on the Haswell Extreme. Basically, anybody, any of these manufacturers that's building a board for gaming or overclocking is going to include all those same controls. Sounds like it's just important really to go with a brand that you trust or that you recognize, not necessarily a, a premium overclocking board. No, I'm going to say even the Gigabyte gaming boards are going to give you the same overclocking controls. I mean, I got... Adequate. Well, I got the same overclocking results using a G1 Gaming versus the Super, the SOC. Yeah, and I'm already familiar with the G1s because I run the Sniper 3 today, and I really like the suite of extras I get, so that would be kind of what I'm looking for. Now, you already mentioned that you had some trouble with the memory. Not necessarily trouble, just trying to get the XMP to work. Right. So that leads me to ask, well, how important is it to choose the right RAM and what, what kind of RAM am I looking for to be successful with a good overclock? The RAM is, it's going to be make or break your overclock. So picking the right RAM is obviously going to be, it'll give you less headache in the end. In the case of the EVGA Classified, they, um, I, I want to say they kind of suffer from the, what DFI suffered from right before they decided to stop making the LAN party series in that. They would tune their boards to whatever modules that a manufacturer would send in. Okay. In their case, they would get a lot of G-Skill memory and they would get a lot of Corsair memory. If you're using anything other than those modules that they tune for, your overclock just was horrible. You Sometimes you couldn't hit speed. You couldn't actually enable XMP. It just wasn't very good at all. The same is true with DDR4 in general because these modules are new. Manufacturers have been able to tune their boards through the you know six, eight months, whatever, during the development, but not every module has been accounted for. In my case, I was using some rather speedy 2666 LNX. I don't know. It's some acronym from, it's their new gaming line from Corsair. Oh, okay. 
those modules are actually faster than the 2400 megahertz that all of the x99 boards were targeted at so the fact that these were actually new modules they didn't get a chance to tune them the xmp calculation didn't actually take place properly it still worked really well but anything past four gigahertz was actually becoming a challenge in stability yeah that sounds really familiar i think it was maybe when the core two duos first came out that there was a lot of trouble with the different memories and timings out there. So you really had to look at the motherboard manufacturer's websites to see what memory they tested with and recommended for really quite a while before things stabilized in the market. Right. And that's where DDR4 is going to be important that you pick a module from a reputable manufacturer. In this case, Corsair should have been one of the, the ones that EVGA tested, but they tested the, the slower brand. Uh, they also tested A-Data and G-Skill. So G-Skill is going to be one of the less expensive brands to get, and you can actually get those in 3,000 megahertz, I think, now. Oh, very nice. And I know that will change over time, of course, is the Oh, yeah. I mean, I was, gets more popular. I was testing a, a beta version, uh, version 07, that actually increased the, uh, the XMP compatibility of my particular modules. And I was actually really happy with the results, although it changed the way that the board overclocked. Previously, I was able to do 130 megahertz base clock at the first XMP profile, which was to 2666. After I flashed, I couldn't change the base clock at all. Basically, oh. if it was at 100 megahertz, I could set an XMP and it would work perfectly. I go 101 megahertz base clock, system would crash winding boot. But of course, that will change too as the market matures. Yeah. And, you know, I could also enable the second XMP profile, which did 2800 megahertz on the memory and it went back into the calculating base clock and i was able to overclock that way but still it wasn't it wasn't tuned so it wasn't actually very stable so how much memory is enough oh 16 gigabits is what you're going to want to get gigabytes in this case now is that a hard and fast rule or is that a minimum i'm going to say that that's going to be um a minimum is what you're going to want. You're going to want to look for a 16 gig uh, memory kit. Two sticks, four sticks. It's going to be four way, so it's going to be four sticks. That's going to be uh, what? Four, four times four. Yeah, four gigs a stick. That's going to be your most economical option. Anything smaller than that, you're actually going to have a hard time finding modules that are in a um, paired match set. Okay. So 16 gigs to basically target that. Find the speed that you're after. I would say anything faster than 2400 megahertz. Is going to make you happy. I didn't notice really a change in, you know, a line in the sand in terms of performance between 2400 megahertz and 2666, mostly because everything is running so fast. But if you go with the faster memory, that's going to be something you'll be able to hold on to and actually use later on. So we're looking just at the main speed of the memory. How important latency timings in this generation? It's not going to really make a difference at all. Oh, well, that's good to know, because then you have a little bit more flexibility in your pocketbook, at least. Mm -hmm. And we haven't talked about price so much since the processor, but a good low-end motherboard and memory, what kind of budget are we looking at? Just an estimate. Estimate, it's probably going to be around uh, $300 for the motherboard and probably another 3 for memory, give or take a bill here and there. Ouch. It's not cheap, but then again, this is bleeding edge. This stuff came out just last month. That is very true, which is why I wonder about the timing. One last thing to ask. Now, I am lucky that I'm already running 
a four digit power supply. I've got a hybrid 1050 right now, mm-hmm. but from a power ploy standpoint, especially for our listeners that may not already have a four digit power supply, what's the bare minimum you'd recommend for a two video card Haswell E overclocking machine? 850 watts. And I can actually say that with confidence because I've run two 780 ties in SLI on an X99 overclocked to 4 gigahertz, and it peaked at a little less than 600 watts. Now, of course, we're making sure you get a good 850, a good bronze, or maybe even a gold rated. Yeah, silver or gold is going to be your best bet there. And you want to stay below 80% of maximum. Turns out that 80% of 850 is around 650-ish in that range. So if you can... We're talking two Intel processors, one processor, right? Well, it's the one, uh, the 5960X. Oh, of course. At at 4 gigahertz. And two video cards. Mm -hmm. Does that number change if you're running uh, Crossfire? No, it's not going to change much in Crossfire. The 290Xs, they draw more power than the the, uh, 780s, but not so much that the power supply requirements are going to change. So maybe a little bit harder question. I know, especially when you're overclocking, your system is only as good as the slowest component. Mm-hmm. Where's the bottleneck on a Haswell E system now? going to be storage. It's always been storage, actually, with any sort of uh, high-end build. So you're going to want to do SSD, either SSD caching. You're going to do uh, 7,200 RPM drives in RAID. That's going to give you the best load speeds. Nowadays, everyone's going SSDs, but... Personally, I'm not uh, convinced that the reliability of an SSD works for a 24-7 system. So I still actually have a rotational drive on my main box, mostly for the safety safety net. The great news is that they've gotten cheap. You can get a couple of 3 gigs now for under 200 bucks if you're patient. Nice, Definitely. good, high-speed units. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you add a, a cache sort of system using an SSD, you're still going to have the SSD speeds with the reliability of a rotational well, I know that I'm running Windows 8 now on my main machine, and Windows 9 is just around the corner, mm-hmm. so in hopes it'll get even more efficient. But I'm sensing a total build that's right around a grand still. Yeah. Well, looking back, I mean, if you look back at any sort of a build, it was always the sweet spot was around $1,200. I don't know if that was something that Intel planned out, but video card, processor, storage, motherboard, everything was about $1,200 if you wanted to get a good mainstream sort of efficient enthusiast build. Anything more than that, and you're just kind of not necessarily throwing your money away, but you're kind of showing off. Anything less than that, and you're going to be wishing you paid more. Well, we've kind of eyeballed the system, I think, and the cost. And maybe before I let this topic go, if you could just kind of give us just a brief re- reminder of how do we overclock a Haswell E for newbies? Oh, let's see. Believe it or not, the Haswell E, when I was uh, running on the classified, was increased the bump the voltage uh, 0.2 millivolts, increased the multiplier, and set XMP. That was it. I was able to hit 4.5 gigahertz. If you wanted to get more uh, in-depth in your overclock, you're going to be setting ring voltages, uh, CPU input voltages, and then basically that's all you're going to really need to change. If you go into LN2, you're going to be tweaking those a little bit more to increase stability. But with every overclock on any processor, for that matter, it's always based off the silicon you're dealing with. So you might have to put more CPU voltage into it. You might have to put more ring voltage into it just to get the overclock that you're after. Perfect. Now, if I were hardcore, 
what's the cutting edge? What's new out there in overclocking the Haswell AI? I know this is a new processor. There's got to be some cutting edge stuff, new bleeding edge overclocking techniques maybe, right? Right. Well, I mentioned earlier how there was a different socket on some of the LN2 boards from like Gigabyte and Asus. Oh, yeah. The socket itself is 2011 pins, right? Well, in these new sockets, it's fully, all the pins are enabled. It's, there's no voids in there at all. And that is to allow more voltage into some hidden pins on the CPU that allow you to tweak the voltages to the uncore which is, in this case, the Northbridge, or what controls the memory controller. Ooh, Uncore, that's kind of like unobtainium, right? <laughs> Something like that. Well, DeBauer, he's uh, affiliated with HardwareBot. He was in the Gigabyte Labs doing some research, and he found a couple of these hidden pins and why the overclock socket on the LN2 boards was actually overclocking the Uncore better than on a regular socket. He was doing a hard mod, which... The last hard mod on a CPU, I think, was, uh, you know, what was it? Athlon XP days when you wanted to unlock the multipliers. Oh, yeah. That's a yeah. long time ago. Yeah, you drop a couple of wires in the socket, and that would allow you to change the multiplier as much as you wanted. NVIDIA started doing that with the uh, Enforce chipset. Uh, with this, he was able to find out that if you shorted two of the pins, you could supply voltage to that, the pin that would control the uncore. And then you install an external VRM and uh, feed it more voltage to get you the vol- get you what you needed to run the ORM core at uh, 4 gigahertz plus. Wow, that's pretty impressive. But that does bring me back to the motherboard again. If I were to get crazy, apparently, do I need to look for a specific style of motherboard that would allow that? Well, you're going to want to look for the one with that uh, filled-in socket. Those are actually really hard to find, actually, so... It all depends on the type of overclock you're after. You know, the Gigabyte's making these LN2 boards to uh, basically show off what they can do and also allow overclockers the ability to get records easily using a factory sort of supported way. So this is not that much different than some of these external uh, devices that we've had in the past? Yeah, like on video cars, for instance, you yeah. know, slicing off the VRM and adding, oh, yeah, yeah. adding a new one. Well, this is very similar. He was using um, one of the G powers, which is similar to the EVGA E power, which is an external VRM. Oh, yeah, okay. So he was running a wire directly into the CPU, tuning the voltage on the G power to get the what he needed to overclock the Uncore, which it seems like a lot of work. It does. And... You know, you could fry a $1,000 CPU rather quickly that way if you solder the wrong pins together. Oh, yeah, that's probably not on my list. I was kind of hoping that would be something eventually we could take advantage of with some software utilities. No, not so much. This is actually a pure hardware thing, and I'm surprised that Intel exposed that pin, you know, because that's something that normally if they don't want you to do it, they don't allow you to. Well, who knows what's going on in the minds of the Intel engineers, but... Definitely exciting and new. It's been a long time since we've seen a hardware mod. Yeah, I want to see more of them, actually. These are kind of fun, especially with the, like, for instance, the 9 series came out. 10, he works in the EVGA labs, has already done an Untouchables mod on the uh, GTX 980. Wow, cool stuff. Well, Haswell E has a lot of opportunity for growth, it sounds like, and hopefully a lot of opportunity for the price to drop while I'm trying to get my budget together. Yeah. Well, you can't argue with six cores and even eight cores of uh, pure CPU power. I agree. And fortunately, all of those are overkill for most things that we're doing these days, especially with gaming. But who knows how much longer that will be true. So it might be time for me to upgrade. 
it's always time for you to upgrade. <laughs> you know that. It is always time to upgrade. So I appreciate your advice. And I look forward to learning more about the Haswell E. Tis the season for upgrades, and we just got done talking about building an Haswell E system, which is going to be super high-end for most folks. Darren has been doing a budget build over the past year, I think? Yeah, about. And you have some new parts. I do. I like to think of this as my backup gaming PC, but I did actually build it for my daughter Kayla. And this gaming machine has always been kind of entry-level because... She's only eight, so she's not very interested in the cutting-edge crisis and battlefield games. Oh, yeah. So the highlight... Well, and there is also prefaces. Those aren't very age-appropriate either. That is very true. So she likes to play Dungeon Defenders with me. It's probably the highest end game as far as, you know, Hammer and the PC. And then a lot of Windows games. And lately, it's just gotten into Minecraft. So kind of, you know, on the bottom end. Okay. Well, let's see. You are running the A8 processor. Is that correct? It's actually the A6 in this one. So like we talked about a little bit in the previous segment, I was looking in this one at what is the cheapest build that I can build that's a gaming PC that has any longevity at all. So we really cut some corners on this build to bring the machine in. The entire build itself, if I remember correctly, was just under 600 bucks. And we talked about this uh, two or three podcasts back, the initial build. So what, uh, what did you upgrade so far? The reason that we're upgrading this machine this month was because we had some problems joining games. And we also wanted to move that PC downstairs into a room that doesn't have real easy access to a network plug. Now, I've wired my house out, as a lot of geeks do, to have a gig LAN in every room. However, the desk where it's at now, that would be about a 35 foot run around the entire room to where the system is sitting in its computer desk. So not very reliable. So my first goal was to get something that would have a really strong wireless. And we looked at some cards and I wanted to get something that would have a good solid signal. And we determined, I think both of us together, that the uh, the gigaboard, the gigabyte motherboard that we had in the lab, which is a FM2 motherboard. It's a gigabyte F2A88XN Wi-Fi motherboard. So you can check that review out on our site. But in short, the strengths of this one is it's a small motherboard. Yeah, mini ITX, I believe. So it fits in the smaller case that she's in now. Mm -hmm. It has all of the peripherals and sockets that she has right now. And it has really fantastic dual outported Wi-Fi on it. Yeah, Bluetooth 4 and AC wireless, I believe. So, yeah, it gets really strong signal, and it works great through several walls in a floor. So connectivity, almost almost as good as before we upgraded to GigLand, but good enough for most of her gaming. The other problem we were having with her machine is when she tabbed in and out of games, and I think we talked about this before, the game would black out, and it took a minute to come in and out. So we were looking at what's the bottleneck in the PC. Yeah, we we did some uh, testing, and it was, uh, I think I determined that it was actually storage. It was just kind of lagging a bit. There seemed to be no CPU usage, and the drive was kind of thrashed around a little bit. So, Well, we had an older hard drive in it, and it was not a very fast one, as we determined. I was at a micro center in Denver. I lucky, know. lucky, <laughs> lucky. And in addition to buying out their entire supply of Ball's energy drinks... <laughs> also, again, very lucky. We purchased an SSD. Now, we bought a Samsung Evo 3, which is the, uh, well, I think it's still their fastest drive. Mm -hmm. And we bought a 240. 
for uh, just over a hundred bucks, which in retrospect wasn't a stellar deal. But hey, when you're in Micro Center, you do as the Micro Center folks do, right? You got to buy something. Well, yeah, you have to. And so we bought this uh, SSD and brought it home. One of the great things about the Evo kit that we bought is it came with um, some terrific Samsung drive imaging software. It was very easy to use. So we plugged that puppy in, converted the drive over, switched it in the BIOS, and we were up and running right away. Also, that Gigabyte motherboard used the same chipset as the older cheap Ace Rock motherboard that we had. Now it was an all right motherboard. Yeah, it was like a bundled deal, I think, is what you got from Newegg. Yeah, it was cheap. I think I paid 65 bucks for it, maybe, with the processor shipped. Mm-hmm. And it did all right. But we, uh, we got the nice drop-in. We didn't have to reinstall the operating system or anything. Did have to do the Microsoft re-license oh, yeah, gonna... dance. Yeah, that happens when you change a board. Mm-hmm. You can get away with changing a video card, not a board. Yeah, and speaking of video cards, we also took the opportunity to take out the 5670 that we had hoped would crossfire with the A6, and it didn't, so didn't have any real need to hold on to it. Jumped up to a little bit newer 7850 video card. Yeah, just a vanilla one, I think, right? Yeah, just a reference. So again, trying to go as cheap as possible. They don't generate a lot of heat, and we didn't expect to overclock it at all. So the whole process, motherboard, SSD, and video card was our solution. The good news is it works really great on the network, and we haven't noticed any slowdown when she's streaming or playing games. The bad news is, although it's reduced that lag on joining games and tabbing in and out of games, there still is a fairly noticeable lag enough that it drops sometimes out of the games in multiplayer when we're switching maps. Yeah, and that the only thing you haven't changed is processor at this point, so I can't imagine that it's CPU cycles, but the A6 is kind of neutered in terms of uh, capacity. Exactly. So looking at this build, we really do need to make a decision for the next time that we touch it, which will probably be a month or two, and whether we jump from that A6 to an A8 or an A10, now that those have gotten very affordable, or if we scrap the project and start over with an entry-level Intel chipset. Maybe a low-end i5, since the uh, the newer processors have come out, the Haswells and the Haswell E's, you can get a very affordable i5 or even maybe an entry-level i7 fairly cheaply. But then again, we're looking at starting over with a budget of around 600 bucks to change your core over. So that actually brings up a very interesting question. So you set out to build a very budget game, yes. gaming machine, and I think you did a pretty good job at keeping it you know, I'd say it was like $500 out the door the first time. Yeah, and that was case, processor, everything. Even yeah. a licensed uh, processing uh, iOS or, wow, did that I say I, iOS? I think you said even, iOS. Even licensed Windows, let's just put it that way. Right. So the problem is you put this system together and you kind of had problems with it. We did, but it's very localized to just a couple of different games. So I really thought it was just the games and it turned out that maybe we went a little bit too low end. And unfortunately, that's what happens when you build a low-end machine, which is why building a machine is good. So you started with the A6 processor, which allows you an upgrade option down the road, right? which is good. Uh, we swapped out motherboard. Uh, I'm saying the only gain that you probably got from the motherboard was the fact that this one's smaller. It came with, instead of expandability for Wi-Fi and stuff like that, it came with it on board. Right. Gigabyte has been very, very good with providing good drivers, which is also a, a very good plus. And it's also, it's an ultra-durable UD3, so I have a little more faith that it's going to survive anything that she would ever do to it. 
What? Uh, short of pouring a soda. Maybe. <laughs> Let's hope not. Yeah. And you did SSD, which is something that a lot of budget uh, systems don't include, partially because of the the size per price, you know, uh, price per gigabyte, basically. Mm-hmm. I agree. And if I were to tell you today, I would say my biggest recommend would be to get a much smaller uh, SSD up front rather than eliminate it from your budget completely. I mean, you can get a 100 to 128 gig unit if you watch for maybe 65, 70 bucks tops. Oh, yeah. And, and then you can later on add your two gigabit or two terabyte drive. Exactly. And, that, and that's enough to get you up and running. And you could get, even if you wanted to get just a cheap one gig green drive or 5200 cheap. So in terms of system memory, are you running the four gigs still? I am. And it's a fast four gigs. And we hadn't targeted that as a weak spot. In fact, I only tested the performance in Windows. And ironically, the slow spots of the processor, which gets a 6.5, the memory gets a 6.7, and everything else gets a much higher 6.9 all the way across the board. So according to Windows, the bottleneck is now that A6 processor. Well, that's actually, that's not too bad. Long story short, you can, with a budget PC, nickel and dime. Now, you don't have to do it all at once like we did. And to be fair, that motherboard really was a luxury that wasn't necessary. So this particular round, we did three bumps for under $300. And I was able to recoup the video card and the old motherboard by dominoing into another buddy's machine. So got some of that money back, which is always a luxury if you can do it, making the whole upgrade process roughly 200 bucks. Yeah, so you're probably sitting around six fifty, almost seven hundred dollars for this rig as it sits. Yeah, I'd say so, and we're ahead of depreciation. So if we sold the machine today, we would still come out ahead, which mm-hmm. is all you really hope for when you build a custom build. Well, that sounds good. Uh, hopefully, you can get uh, that processor thing sorted out, or you know, maybe we'll go up to an i three for you. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on HardwareAsylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS, now available on iTunes. Join us on Facebook or follow us on Google. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2014. Thanks for listening.